Before we begin, let me take a moment to tell you what you're in for. The story I'm about to share with you comes from the universe of the Traveler's Gate trilogy by Will White, and only if you've read those books do you have the full training necessary to handle information from that realm. This story was previously released as part of the Traveler's Gate Chronicles short story collection, so if you've read that already, I have good news. You've already survived exposure to its incredible power. The only difference today is that you'll be experiencing it with your ears instead of your eyes. If you haven't read the Traveler's Gate books, you may not be able to harness the full energy of these stories. You can try if you'd like, but side effects of unqualified exposure may include confusion, lack of comprehension, or spontaneous combustion. If you're the kind of person that wants to prepare yourself and read the books first, you can find House of Blades, the first book in the Traveler's Gate trilogy, on Amazon or Audible. It will give you the guidance necessary to comprehend these stories without bleeding from the ears. However, if you know that you are unqualified and have decided that this story isn't for you, then we understand and wish you a fond farewell. May we meet again someday, you beautiful stranger. For those of you still with me, we're going together into the pieces of the Traveler's Gate world that weren't covered in the main books, unexplored and unknown corners of the territories. We're going off the edges of the map, and here, there be dragons. Tower of Winter. First, you should observe the violet light, which is aligned with Helgard, the Tower of Winter. Many students who came before you have wondered why the violet virtues of honesty, openness, and genuine expression are linked with this specific territory. Helgard's travelers are scholars known for their dedication to knowledge, research, and memory. Why, then, are they not linked to wisdom or even diligence? Elysian Book of Virtues, Chapter 1, Violet Donia Sarkis, traveler of Helgard, had great things ahead of her. Everyone said so. She might be an overlord one day, when Vasilios stepped down. She might end up as an explorer, braving the unknown dangers of the tower's uppermost floors. Today, it seemed, she was meant to be a nursemaid. Nicholas shivered in his heavy, fur-lined cloak. He sniffed miserably, his well-bred good looks spoiled by a bright red nose. His sleek, blonde hair was ruffled by the wind, and he could barely keep his hood up. Wait, he said. Did you see that? He stared off into the blowing snow as though he had spotted some danger. I don't see anything but snow, Nicholas, Donia said, keeping her tone polite. Nicholas was the overlord's son, and a bad report from him would haunt her for years. She could not afford to let the overlord down. Regardless, we should wait and watch, the boy said, sniffling at every other word. We wouldn't want to run into an unknown danger. Nicholas stumbled through a drift and plopped down on top of a thick, rounded boulder carved like the head of a statue. It was a grossly exaggerated caricature of a face, locked into the expression of a monster about to devour a meal. Its long tongue hung down almost into the snow, bearing four pointed fangs at the corner of the mouth. It looked as if someone had carved a stone statue of a hungry monster, severed its head, and thrown that head on the ground. Donia happened to know the statue's neck actually grew down into the bedrock of Helgard's 15th floor, and there were hundreds of such heads scattered all around the floor. Some were so small they were often covered entirely by snow, though others were the size of a barn. No one knew the purpose of the heads, though there were theories. Somehow, 
Donia doubted they were originally intended as benches for spoiled children. I seriously doubt we're in danger here, Donia said, because she couldn't help herself. This floor is well controlled. There are even a few permanent outposts. You never know, Nicholas said. We should keep an eye out. He was hugging himself and staring at the ground, not even pretending to watch for danger. Nicholas had come up with some excuse to rest every hour since they had entered the Hellguard gate. At first, he was simply overcome with the natural beauty of the tower, and he needed a moment to collect his thoughts. He would insist that he had heard a voice in the howling wind, or that he only needed a moment more to decipher the ancient runes on Hellguard's outer walls. Once, when he caught sight of an ice fang shuffling through the snow, he had sworn there was a dead body beneath the powder, struggling to surface. They had to freeze in place, he said, because sudden movements could set it off. Donia remembered herself at fifteen, so she kept herself polite, though she couldn't ever recall being so obnoxious. If she was tired, she would have said so, none of this dancing around the subject or making up excuses. His attitude shouldn't matter, she reminded herself. He could be a screaming terror and I'd still have accepted. Jobs like this are a ladder straight to the top. Overlord Vasilios had insisted Donia should escort his son from his relative's estate in Olren all the way back home to Belterra. It was an easy assignment, but one that showed a great deal of trust in Donia. She had only been a Hellguard traveler for a few years, but she was already getting personal assignments from the Overlord. Annoying as this job might be, she had to prove she could do it. A patch of glittering snow caught Donia's attention, lying at the base of a twisted tree. In the right light, it looked as though someone had sprinkled the snow with a handful of crushed diamonds or powdered glass. She recognized the signs immediately, as any Hellguard traveler would. An ice fang lay in wait beneath that shimmering snow. Ice fangs were among the least of the dangers Hellguard had to offer, but she had known careless travelers to lose chunks of flesh to an ice fang bite. The creatures were scavengers, usually preying on the sick or the dead. She wondered if Nicholas counted as sickly. They were also highly territorial, and it was entirely possible that she had stepped near this one's burrow without realizing it. Donia took a few steps closer to the ice fang, away from Nicholas. The beast began to tremble, almost imperceptibly. She held her middle two fingers together, leaving her other fingers spread out, stretching her hand out to the ice fang in a sign of peace. For a few seconds, the scavenger's eager trembling stopped as it felt Donia's imposed peace wash over it. That wouldn't be enough to stop it, not on its own, but it gave Donia enough time to enact the next step. Under her breath, Donia whispered the Ice Fang's name. Not its personal name, of course. Learning that would have taken entirely too long, and she didn't have time. Instead, she recited the generic name for the Ice Fang species. It was twelve syllables long, all but impossible to pronounce, and all ice fangs would respond to it to some degree. She had heard it said that being a Hellguard traveler was half research and half rote memorization. In fact, she had spent three quarters of her time as a student simply memorizing the hundreds upon hundreds of names all travelers of Hellguard were expected to know as a matter of course. At this point, keeping an ice fang quiet required no more effort than walking through the snow. As usual, when she correctly named a creature, she felt a rush of emotions in return. With more intelligent creatures, she would receive a rush of specific thoughts and memories, but the ice fang was little more than a vulture. It felt frustration, 
deep hunger and a barely restrained eagerness to attack the intruders that had dared to set foot in its home. The peace she had imposed with her sign still lingered in the creature's mind, and the unnatural calm also gave the Ice Fang a degree of confusion. It wasn't used to being calm. As always, the Ice Fang's emotions weren't the only things that transferred along the bond. Donia felt her own frustration with Nicholas, her hope to please the overlord, her fear that she wouldn't live up to her reputation, and her satisfaction at finally being home in Helgard all flow out of her. The Ice Fang wouldn't fully comprehend any of that, of course, but it grew to understand her nature just as she understood it. More than anything, it felt her power and authority as a traveler of Helgard. It knew she could call up a dozen forces more deadly than itself, and it wanted no part of that. The glittering snow shrunk two sizes as the Ice Fang cowered in the snowbank. Nearby, Nicholas heaved a sigh and rose to his feet. I suppose I was mistaken, he said at last. We must remain vigilant. He trudged over to Donia with his hands tucked into his pockets and his blonde hair disheveled. The corner of his boot almost scraped the Ice Fang hidden in the snow. Without her interference, it would have taken his foot off. Nicholas never even noticed. After Donia and Nicholas climbed up the seemingly never-ending ladder leading from the 15th floor to the 16th, Donia remembered something she had been trying to ignore. She hated this floor. The entire thing was one open room, with no trees or hideous statues to break up the monotony. The blue-gray outer wall of Helgard encircled the floor, and without any obstructions, Donia thought she could make out the curvature of the tower, though it was hard to say for sure since she couldn't see the far wall. The floor appeared somewhat even, which she knew was an illusion. There was no snow here, and the ground was made entirely of uninterrupted ice. It looked as though the ocean's surface had frozen during a choppy ocean storm. Waves and spikes and curls of ice rose from the surface in a twisting, frozen maze. That was one of the things she hated about this floor. Damasca had a small outpost here, but she couldn't see it from the floor entrance because of all the waves breaking up her line of sight. She could barely judge distance at all. The icy floor glowed from inside with a pale greenish light. Perhaps she should have enjoyed that. There were much darker floors in Helgard, after all. But occasionally the light would flicker out, as though something in the depths of the ice had passed briefly in front of the light's source. That was a continual reminder of the fact she didn't want to think about. Something lay beneath the ice here, and no one knew what. The older Helgard travelers had stories, of course, but they had no more idea than she did. Everyone who might know was either dead or insane. Which brought her to the worst thing about the 16th floor. The silence. From the frozen waves below to the enormous distant icicles on the roof above, each of which was the size of a lighthouse, there was plenty of space to create air currents. Many of the Helgard floors generated their own weather, but not the 16th. Nothing disturbed the air on the 16th floor. Not a breeze, not the call of a bird, nothing. It was the closest to absolute silence Donia had ever endured, and she couldn't stand it. Nicholas cleared his throat, and it sounded like the rumble of thunder. Quiet here, isn't... Donia clapped a gloved hand over his mouth. Nicholas's words echoed softly off the nearby ice. Donia remained tense and alert until the sound died away, then she relaxed, slightly. She put her mouth close to his ear and whispered as softly as she could. 
What did I say before we climbed up here? She loosened her hand, giving him a bit of room to speak. Quiet, Nicholas breathed, barely moving his lips. That's right. Better men and women than you, all Hellguard travelers, have made too much noise on this floor and regretted it. Do you understand? Nicholas nodded eagerly. Now, I'm going to take my hand away, and I want you to remain as quiet as possible. When the boy nodded again, Donia took her hand away and turned back toward the field of ice. A worn, dirty traveler with a scraggly beard stood not a pace behind her. Nicholas shrieked, though to his credit he stifled it quickly. Donia's heart was pounding, but she reacted with more composure, as befit a traveler of Helgard. She held her right hand out in a sign of aggression, words of summoning on her lips. The traveler, whose blue and white Damascan uniform was torn to ribbons, held up both of his hands, palms out. The gesture showed he was unarmed and, for a traveler, showed he wasn't making any hostile signs. No, wait, he said in a hoarse whisper. Help, I need your help. Donia looked around, wary of a trap or ambush, though she couldn't understand why this bait would be necessary if he meant to attack them. The floor was lonely and silent. He and his friends could have jumped on Donia and Nikolos, if such was their intention. Where is the rest of your unit, traveler? Donia asked. The stranger shook his head frantically, like a dog trying to shake off water. Gone, he whispered. Attacked, viciously attacked. Please help me, I can't leave this floor. Nikolos must have felt the need to interfere because he said, Of course you can, we're standing not ten feet from the way down. Donia ignored him, keeping her focus on the shaken stranger. What's your name, traveler? Lucas, ma'am, he responded. Inspector Lucas, Outpost 16. Listen, I need you to take word back to the first floor. They're here, they're here for the frozen ones. By the end, his voice had risen until it was more of a scream than a whisper. Inspector Lucas, Donia repeated calmly. Why can't you leave with us? She had read that you were supposed to remain calm in these circumstances, even though all she wanted to do was bolt back down the ladder that had taken them here. This was more trouble than she was authorized to handle. With a trembling finger, Lucas pointed down at the glowing ice on which he stood. At first, Donia saw nothing, and she almost told him so. Then something flickered deep below the frozen surface, like the glimmer of a fish's scales. Lucas took a step to one side, and the distant gleam followed him. What is that? Nikolos asked, staring down into the ice himself. They called it up from the ice, Lucas whispered. They sent it after me, but it can't get me up here. It can't break the surface. If I tried to climb down the ladder, I'd have to pass through the ice. It would have me. How do you know? Donia asked. Lucas shuddered. I could feel it, he said. It called my name. Donia felt a chill pass through her. Naming a creature of Helgard created a bond between the traveler and her named companion. With intelligent creatures, it was more a sharing of names in which both parties learned equally about one another. However, the traveler always initiated the bond, and it was up to her how far to pursue it. If there was something here that could name them back? We'll carry your warning, Inspector, Donia said trying to project the same absolute certainty she had seen in Overlord Vasilios so many times. Who's doing this? Lucas let out the quietest laugh Donia had ever heard. There's some kind of cult, 
maybe a dozen travelers. I don't know who they are exactly, but they killed the rest of Outpost 16 before we could even react. They're ruthless, and they- He leaned in close, his eyes flicking from side to side. They want to raise the Frozen Ones. Donia cleared her throat. He had mentioned the Frozen Ones before, but she had decided to overlook that. The Frozen Ones were part of an ancient legend of Helgard, and one that seemed to have its basis more in colorful rumor than actual history. Believe me, Lucas went on, sounding desperate. Maybe they're crazy, I don't know, but they believe there are being sealed here on the 16th floor. They've been crawling down into the ice for hours, trying to wake up whatever they can. They killed my unit because they need the bodies. They think the blood might help. His whispers trailed off, but Donia had no idea what she could say. Are they from Enosh? Nicholas asked, sounding strangely excited. I've heard the Grandmasters do things like that. You know, blood sacrifice to raise monsters, that sort of thing. From what Donia had heard of Ragnarus travelers, the Damascan royal family was more likely to be involved in human sacrifice than anyone from Enosh, but she kept that to herself. The annual sacrifice was cloaked in mystery, and no one outside the royal palace in Cana really knew what went on there. It was all way above her, and none of her business besides. Not Enosh, Lucas said. I know all of the Helgard travelers that Enosh ever sends to this floor. One of them was visiting the outpost when these cultists tore it down. Nicholas's face twisted into an expression of revulsion. How can you stand to be so close to an Enosh heretic? I'd kill them on sight myself. Nicholas wasn't a traveler, and Donia was of the opinion that he would get himself eviscerated before he managed to kill anybody, but she held her opinion close. Inspector, are we safe here? Lucas chuckled bitterly, though he didn't raise his voice above a whisper. As safe as we ever are on this floor, they're busy with the ritual, or whatever dark business they have going on, and they're all the way over by the outpost, where the outpost used to be anyway. They won't be coming back after me. You should stay here then, Donia said, though she realized immediately her suggestion was useless. Of course he would stay here, where it was safe. What did she expect him to do, run back in and fight the cultists single-handedly? In the meantime, she continued, Nicholas and I will head back down and warn the inspectors on the first floor. From there, hold on, Nicholas interrupted. How long will that take? Donia sighed. Nicholas, surely you can see that. And what will they do about it? They will send travelers, Donia said impatiently. A small army of travelers with powers at their command you couldn't even pronounce. Nicholas met her gaze, his eyes more serious than she had ever seen them. So, we climb back down sixteen floors, which will take us hours, if not longer. We convince the inspectors to send people up to the sixteenth. Even if they believe us, without sending someone to look for themselves, how long will it take for them to gather enough travelers, not to mention getting them back up here? What would you have us do, Nicholas? Donia asked. She meant it to be mocking, but if he had a real suggestion, she was more than willing to listen. There's a route to my father through here, right? Nicholas said. That's why we're on this floor in the first place. We should go to him. It's faster, he'll believe me immediately, and we won't need an army. My father alone will be more than enough. Donia had to admit the boy had a point. She had seen Overlord Vasilios in action, and the man was like a Helgard incarnation in the flesh. And according to rumor, the overlords each had artifacts of Ragnaros ensuring they would always be more powerful than their competition. With that kind of weaponry on their side, they would have nothing to worry about. 
Besides, the overlord would surely want them to come to him with this. She turned to Lucas, outlining exactly which crossing they needed to take. Where is the enemy? She asked. Can we cross without running into them? Lucas rubbed his gloved hands together nervously. I couldn't say. I think if you skirted the center of the floor and headed straight to the crossing, you could open a gate without them being any the wiser. But there would be no guarantee you wouldn't run into a straggler or a scout or somebody in the wrong place at the wrong time. Donia stared off into the featureless waves of ice, mulling over the situation. It would be safer to go down to the first floor, that was for sure. It was her responsibility to keep Nicholas safe. The safer option wasn't necessarily the right one, though. She wasn't certain whether the overlord would love her for bringing him the news first, or hate her for taking his son into danger. As she sometimes did, she pictured herself as she imagined others thought of her. Strong, skilled, confident, always ready with the right answer. That woman would know exactly what to do. She would likely press forward, relying on her own ability to keep them all safe. Unfortunately, Donia wasn't sure that woman actually existed. We will move forward, Donia said at last. Lucas groaned, but Donia continued speaking. As carefully as we can, if we see anyone, anyone at all, we immediately turn around, no questions asked. Now, Inspector Lucas, are you with us? Lucas gaped at her. Me? We've never encountered this enemy before. We're not familiar with the floor, and the boy here is the Overlord's son. He's not a traveler. Inspector Lucas looked Nicholas over more carefully. The boy, Nicholas whined. As you can see, Donia went on, we could use your help. Lucas glanced from one side to the other as though trying to find his way out of a trap. At last, he closed his eyes and took a deep breath. Let me show you the way, he said at last. For the first few minutes, the silence on the 16th floor was laced with tension. Donia barely took a step without craning her neck to see over a frozen wave, and three or four times she almost called on Helgard's power to destroy a shape that turned out to be nothing more than a flickering shadow. But Lucas set a pace barely greater than a crawl. He called a stop at any sound, seemingly even the echoes of their own footsteps. An hour into the journey, without seeing any sign of danger, Donia's alarm began to fade, and she started to worry. Nicholas drifted up to her, seemingly casual, speaking under his breath. What do you know about him? The boy asked, nodding toward Lucas. The inspector stared intently between two man-sized curls of ice as though expecting someone to materialize inside them. Nothing more than you do, Donia said. She had never heard of Lucas before. But then, Outpost 16 was one of the most isolated positions in the tower. The more social or ambitious travelers avoided it, leaving those who had a reason to stay alone. I've been thinking, isn't this a little suspicious? We haven't seen anything wrong this whole time. We're taking his word about this threat. We're taking his word on where it is. How do we know there are even any enemies out here at all? Even if there are, how do we know he's not with them? They were far enough behind Lucas, and Nicholas was speaking quietly enough that Donia doubted they would be overheard. In truth, Donia thought much the same. Lucas had shown them nothing to back up his claims. But there was something of an understanding between Helgard travelers, even between travelers of Enosh and Damasca. They may be enemies on the outside, and they would work against each other when ordered, but the real danger was the tower itself. Tradition said she could trust Inspector Lucas. I say we trust him, Donia said. 
for now, but I'm on my guard. Nicholas clearly wasn't satisfied, and he seemed on the verge of voicing another complaint. The ice in front of them exploded. The frozen wave burst with a sound like a thousand falling trees, bursting into a cloud of ice shards that tore into Donia, tearing through her clothes, slicing her skin. With well-trained speed, Donia threw her hands up, holding her fingers in the correct signs, and whispered a quick word. Helgard travelers collected names and gestures that allowed them to summon, control, and influence the creatures of the territory. But she was not limited to calling on living creatures. She held out the signs, whispered the key, and the Tower of Winter answered. Freezing wind whipped up around them, tearing at the fringes of her coat, throwing her dark hair in her face. In front of Lucas, it was much stronger, so strong that the wind blasted many of the flying ice chunks from the air, blowing them to one side of Donia's group. Some of the ice got through, drawing lines of burning red on her skin. Far fewer than before, though. Lucas hadn't reacted as quickly as she had, but he had been closer to the initial explosion. As the ice shards continued to fly, he huddled behind Donia's barrier of wind, curled up on the ground. His torn coat was in tatters now, and he was visibly splattered in blood. Donia didn't have time to worry long over Inspector Lucas. Three figures appeared in the blowing snow and ice. One of them raised a hand, and the daggers of ice stopped flying. I guess I owe Lucas an apology. Donia thought. Here were his mysterious cultists. And they were dressed exactly as she had imagined. They wore the typical uniform all Helgard travelers shared out of necessity, a fur-lined coat with a hood and thick, warm gloves. Unlike Donia's outfit and Lucas's, both of which were blue with white fur, these three wore black coats lined in dark gray fur. The lower halves of their faces were covered by a black mask that, Donia had to admit, looked rather warm. In another circumstance, the effect might have been silly. They were dressed up like the villains of some bad play, and there wasn't even any reason for it. Black was no good for stealth up here. The landscape was white, the light blue-green, and night never fell on the 16th floor. Part of her thought they couldn't be serious. Then she saw the dark stains glistening against the black of their coats, and she had a disturbing thought. Those coats wouldn't show bloodstains for long. One of the figures stepped forward and spoke. His voice was cultured and educated, possibly a wealthy son raised at the heart of Cana. I'm sorry for that. We can't be too wary out here, you know. We've heard rumors that there might be some Enosh travelers around here, and we were not as careful as we should have been. Blood dripped into Donia's eye, and she wiped it away so it wouldn't freeze her eyes shut. Anger and fear warred for control. You're sorry, she said. You could have killed us. You nearly did. Give me one reason why I shouldn't report you to my overlord. One. The lead figure bowed at the waist, inclining his head a fraction. As I said, it was a misunderstanding. We have heard rumors. We've heard some rumors ourselves today, Donia said. Fear and anger were still having their match, but anger was leading by a head. Who are you, and what is your business here? He paused, glancing down at Lucas. Ah, he said at last. Rumors. Yes, I imagine you might have heard a few. Well, I have nothing to hide. There is a being sealed in this floor known as the Frozen One, perhaps more than a single individual. 
We are here to share our names, perhaps form a bond with this being, as has been the tradition in Helgard since time immemorial. Casually, Donia slipped her left hand into her pocket, swiftly forming sign after sign. She would have to move quickly when the time came, so it would be best to do as much of the preliminary work ahead of time as she could. And what about Outpost 16? Donia asked. Nikolos edged around until he stood behind her. Wisely so, she thought. The black-coated man shrugged. Mistakes were made. That was all. Well, I think, Donia began, and before anyone could react, she shouted for her strongest ally. She called him Rishla, for short, because his full name was 15 syllables and required years of linguistic training to pronounce. He looked something like a furred serpent or a long weasel with pale tan fur and a dozen legs. He was fiercely loyal to her, devilishly intelligent, and one of the most powerful creatures she had ever encountered at the tower. More importantly to her right now, he would come at the sound of his nickname, set alongside the proper signs. She didn't have time to shout all fifteen syllables. Well, he would normally come at the sound of his nickname. Creatures of Helgard could hear their name spoken anywhere, especially by their bonded partner. Why wasn't he coming already? More importantly, Usually, a battle between Hilgard travelers was a match of who could make their signs and shout the words the most quickly. The three cultists should have been yelling like town criers and frantically twisting their fingers, but they did nothing. Lucas barely managed to raise himself on one bloody arm, twisting to look at Donia. No, he croaked. Don't summon, not here. He collapsed again, his strength exhausted. The black-coated speaker swept a hand in Lucas's direction. You heard the man, he said, but it seems like it's too late. The light beneath the ice vanished entirely, for one disturbing second leaving the entire floor in complete darkness. She heard a sound like a cross between a lion's roar and the tolling of an enormous bell. One of the cultists who had previously remained silent started laughing. This floor is sealed by the power of the Frozen One, the speaker said. We've managed to encourage that much cooperation, at least. Anything that tries to enter is met by his wrath. Donia didn't respond, not in words. She crossed the first two fingers of each hand and stuck them out, one to each side. She spoke a key. This time, the enemy travelers sputtered their own keys and began raising their hands in signs. The speaker raised his hands and made a warding gesture, trying to get his key phrase in place. He was too slow. A gleaming crystal snowflake the size of a wagon wheel came hurtling out of the distance, spinning through the air, its edge sharp enough to cleave bone. It had formed itself from loose ice and snow, and she could now control its flight with the motion of her right hand. She whipped her right hand forward to point at the cultist speaker, then brought her left hand in as well. A second giant snowflake followed. She didn't know any of the powers associated specifically with the 16th floor, but she could use this one anywhere. Very few people in the entire tower could form two white razors at once, much less so quickly. Donia was counting on the surprise. One cultist called up a burst of wind, blasting a single razor from the air, but not before it could nick her in the leg. A second cultist dropped to his knees, letting the razor fly over his head, straight at the speaker. The speaker spoke the last syllable of his key and stumbled backwards. 
In front of him, the loose ice shards rose into the air, forming into a blue-white wall. The white razor slammed into his ice wall in a thunderous collision, sending chips of ice and a freezing wind flying in all directions. Donia was already forming new signs, speaking the key to her next summons. The cultists muttered along, doing the same. Then Inspector Lucas picked his head up once more, thrusting a bloody fist at the ceiling. He breathed out three final syllables, smiled, and collapsed with his face on the ice. A crack echoed throughout the sixteenth floor as though the world itself were breaking. Donia couldn't help but look up, and up, and up, at the icicles on the ceiling, the icicles that could crush an entire village. One of them, with its point directly above Lucas, started to fall. It looked deceptively slow, she noticed, as though it would take ten minutes to reach the ground. And beautiful. It refracted the ambient light of the sixteenth floor with the thousand indescribable colors of the rainbow. It didn't look anything like incalculable tons of ice rushing toward her at lethal speeds. All of this flashed through her mind in a single instant before she grabbed Nicholas's arm and hauled him along behind her, running recklessly over the icy surface. She didn't know which way she was going, and she didn't care a bit, so long as it was away from that mountainous hammer of ice. Ordinarily, she would never have run over this ice. One slip on ice this irregular could mean death at the best of times, and now it certainly would. Mentally, she thanked her father for the gift of the new boots he had sent her last winter's end. She did not slip, and she did not look back. She kept running. For a few seconds. She crested the rise of a frozen wave, dragging Nikolos behind her like a cart behind a horse. She jumped off and almost landed on another traveler in a black coat. He had fallen onto his backside, scrambling backwards, face locked on the descending icicle. Donia couldn't blame him. She vaguely noticed a half dozen other figures, dressed the same as the first, all around her, and a huge red circle painted on the ice. She would worry about all that after she survived. She ran. She made it a few more steps before the icicle hit, tossing her from her feet. Donia slammed face first into the ice, and the world went dark. She woke to agonizing pain. Donia's cheek, pressed against the ice, had begun to burn with the cold. She felt like she had been stabbed with a dozen knives all up the right side of her body. Her hips sent up lances of pain when she tried to move, and it made a disturbing clicking sound. Worse, she could barely move. She was trapped. Her breath came faster and faster as she rolled her eyes around, trying to see a way out. All she could see, by the light of the dim glow beneath her, was ice. Chunks of ice pressed against her face, above her, beneath her, all around. She was buried alive. The thought brought on a new wave of panic, and she instinctively tried to push herself up with her right hand. As soon as she leaned on her arm, pain shot through her as though someone had crushed every bone in the arm with a hammer. She couldn't help herself. She screamed. When her shout faded from her own ears, she realized she could hear voices. Not from far away, either. Maybe she wasn't buried as deeply as she thought. As loud as she could, Donia shouted for help. Outside, someone cleared his throat. Someone survived in there, he noted. Donia recognized the voice. It was the cultist who had spoken earlier, and he wasn't alone. Several others muttered along with him. 
just when she had thought things couldn't get any worse. The thought of other people outside, not far away, actually calmed her down. For the first time, she managed to take a calm look at her surroundings. Piles of ice, many the size of boulders, had fallen all around her. None of them rested on her directly, for which she was thankful. Several could have crushed her to death. Upon further inspection, there were gaps here and there around her. She might even be able to lever herself into a sitting position. Taking a deep breath and ignoring her pain, Donia wriggled inch by inch up so she wouldn't have to lie trapped under the ice. The speaker outside wouldn't shut up, though. Was it the lady who made it? He called. Do you have the boy with you? Donia was having trouble breathing through the pain, but the thought of Nikolos took the rest of the breath from her lungs. Nikolos was most likely dead. She would have to face his father. Suddenly, she wished the collapsing pillar of ice had managed to crush her, too. Let me out, and we'll talk about it, Donia managed to yell. Hmm. No, I don't think I will, the speaker said cheerily. Though you couldn't have been more of a help to us, really. All that blood and noise and power flying around. The frozen one is stirring. He just needs one more push. I'm going to do you a favor. I'll allow you to be one of the first witnesses to the birth of a new tar. Donia had a little pride left, so she only screamed at them. She didn't threaten. She didn't beg. But she was going to die buried alive under a thousand tons of ice. She felt she was due a little screaming. She had heard nothing but her own shouts for so long that she almost didn't believe it when she heard another sound. Um, someone said. Hello? It sounded scared, vulnerable, young. Nicholas, she asked, barely willing to hope. Traveler Donia, is that you? Donia felt more relief at the sound of Nicholas's voice than she would have ever expected. Nicholas, you're safe. Are you hurt? I don't know. I, I can't feel my legs. Panic entered the boy's words. I can't feel my legs. It took Donia many long minutes to calm Nikolos down. She was nearly at the end of her road, but giving in to terror wouldn't help anyone. She told Nikolos so. They're outside, she told him. I heard them. They're doing their ritual, and that gives us some time. I'll think of a plan, and as soon as we get an opportunity, I'll get us out of here. Okay, Nikolos said, gasping out the word. Okay. To her... Waiting for an opportunity felt a little too much like doing nothing. She could call up enough power to shift the ice, but doing so might destabilize the entire pile and crush her. Besides, she had no idea where Nikolos was. Anything she did might kill him. She had some bonded creatures who could dig her out, but her summons had failed earlier. If she had to, she would try summoning every being of Helgard whose name she knew. She would keep it up until her voice failed her or something got through. But she wasn't sure what had happened to Rishla when she had tried to summon him earlier. She wouldn't call anything else into an unknown danger until she had no other choice. The cultists hadn't left. They still spoke with one another outside her frozen prison. Occasionally, Donia heard a crunching footstep on the ice or a single word made oddly clear. Some of them began to chant. When she yelled, they ignored her. She shouted until her throat hurt and she started coughing, but she never got another response. That left her sitting there with her injuries, propped up against the bitter cold of the ice. 
Even through her Hellguard training and her thick coat, the chill of the ice seeped into her bones. She needed something to distract her from the cold and the pain. Nicholas chose that moment to ask a question. Travelodonia. Hmm? What are they doing out there? He asked. What are the frozen ones? Donia thought back to her long years in the Helgard libraries, reading through the long history of myths and legends in the Tower of Winter. She had never taken the stories seriously, and comparative mythology was hardly her field, but some of it stuck. Stories, she said. Very old stories. True ones? Nobody knows. These travelers outside obviously think so. There's a legend that says Helgard was once part of a greater world a world torn apart by unimaginable beings of terror and rage. The men of that world built the Tower of Winter to freeze these things, to keep them asleep for all of time. Now, we call those beings the Frozen Ones. So, the whole tower is nothing but a big icebox, Nicholas said. Right now, I can believe it, Donia replied, pulling her coat closer. Outside, the chanting of the cultists grew louder. The light beneath her flickered. Time passed. She wasn't sure quite how much, but Nicholas said nothing. Donia had seen people fall asleep and freeze here in the tower. They moved and spoke a little less, and then still less, and finally not at all. It was hard to notice the transition. If that happened to Nicholas, she would never forgive herself. Forget what the overlord would do to her, Nicholas was a 15-year-old boy, raised by overindulgent parents, thrust in a situation for which he wasn't prepared. She was responsible for him, and she had put him here. The pain shooting down the right side of her body didn't matter. She had to keep him awake, aware, and alive until she could find a way to get him out of here. Both of your parents are travelers, Donia called. Nicholas said nothing for so long that Donia's heart dropped but he finally grunted in agreement. Did you never take the tests? Every week since I was ten, Nicholas said. They put me through every test known to mankind. I've spent the night in Asphodel Gardens. I've had a Corvinus raven read my mind. I even hiked up a mountain in Ornheim. Not Helgard. That would be surprising, considering his father was one of the most skilled and powerful Helgard travelers in the world. Nicholas laughed for a moment ending in a gasp of pain. Still, he forced his words out. Oh, yes, Helgard more than anything. They forced me to keep an ice fang as a pet for months to see if I would bond with it. They didn't get rid of it until the third time it chased me up a bookshelf and wouldn't let me come down. Another time, they brought me to the edge of the Badari Desert and gave me this little frozen goblet. They told me that if Helgard accepted me, the goblet would fill up with water and I'd be fine. I passed out six hours in, and my father had to get an Avernus traveler to fly me out. Sounds terrible, Donia said honestly. She had to keep him talking. The cold was starting to slice through even her, so she could only imagine how Nicholas must feel. It wasn't so bad, the boy said. If I was a Hellguard traveler, I could become overlord after my father. Even if I traveled to different territory, at least I could do something worthwhile. It's not like travelers are the only ones worth anything, Donia said. Most people aren't travelers, and they live perfectly productive lives. Yeah, Nicholas said. Let me go and sell carpets for the rest of my life. That's just as good as calling fire from the sky. He sighed. Anyway, he went on, 
What about you? Did your parents have you tested? Not exactly, Donia responded. A real conversation at last. Some part of her was convinced that if they could just keep talking, everything would turn out all right. My mother works for the Seamstress Guild when she can, and my father serves in your household, she said. They couldn't afford to give me a real test, and it would never have occurred to them anyway. Hold on a moment, Nikolos said. Is Master Sarkis your father? Donia smiled, even though she knew no one could see her. The trust Overlord Vasilios had for Donia's father was one of the main reasons why she had been trusted with this mission in the first place, and the boy hadn't even known who she really was. He is, she said. Seven stones. I never knew. Well, when I was twelve, your father sent a team of Hellguard travelers to our house to live with my family while new quarters were constructed. This was a few years before you were born, by the way. One of the travelers had an ice fang with him crawling along at his feet, and I decided to reach down and pet it. She could still see the creature, a clump of snow running along at its master's heels like a dog, sparkling in the sunlight as if it were covered in diamonds. Something in her had to touch it, as though the ice fang itself were calling to her. And you survived, Nicholas sounded horrified. Instead of tearing my finger off, it hopped up on my shoulder and wouldn't leave. Its traveler couldn't get it to come off all day. Nicholas stayed silent for a moment, then he burst out laughing. Out of instinct, she almost told him to be quiet, but what was the point? He couldn't wake anything worse than what the travelers outside were already calling up, so she might as well keep talking. They took me to Helgard immediately for training, though I was still allowed to live with my parents. I spent most of the next fifteen years studying and learning. I wasn't allowed full access to the tower until a few years ago. In truth, most Helgard travelers were never allowed to travel freely from floor to floor. They were restricted according to their ability, and most never progressed beyond a certain point. I wish I could be like you, Nicolo said. Even among travelers, you stand out. You've got the talent. You've got the skill. I bet you could free yourself if I wasn't here, couldn't you? Maybe she could. It wasn't a sure thing. But if Nicolos hadn't been in danger, she would have rolled the dice already. As it was, she couldn't risk his life as easily as she could risk her own. It's not like that, Donia said. It's okay, Nicolos replied, and he sounded dreamy, sleepy. I've given up. You get out of here. You can do it. You'll be okay. My father needs you more, more than he needs. Nicolos's voice drifted off into indistinct murmurs. Nicolos? Donia called. Nicolos! No response. She had to keep talking. Talking might keep him awake, might give him something to concentrate on, and might keep her awake for that matter. It's not as easy as you think, she said. They give me tasks they would never assign to anyone else, and they expect me to do it. They know I won't fail. So far, I haven't. Not until today. I'm the one who succeeds every time. What will they think when they hear I've died? Donia let her voice ramble as she wondered out loud. What will they think when word gets out that I died in some random engagement on the 16th floor? Will anyone ever tell my parents? The rest of Helgard might have more to worry about soon. Maybe no one will ever know. Maybe I'll be the one casualty among many. She sat there as her voice died, letting the silent cold sink into her skin. Outside, the cultists murmured their indistinct chants. 
Something tickled at the back of Donia's mind, like a half-remembered dream mixed with a sound out of hearing. She strained to hear the whisper, to remember the thought. In her mind, she reached out, and a tumble of thoughts, ideas, and images blasted into her head, sitting her bolt upright despite the pain. It was more than a simple voice, in the same way a wild forest fire was more than a single color, but somehow she understood. Go on, it said. It wanted her to keep talking. Who are you? she asked. On instinct, she glanced around, though of course she saw nothing but ice. The voice responded. It sounded almost like words. A string of a hundred syllables somehow shoved into her mind in the space of a heartbeat. But these words carry the image of ice, endless ice. A timeless winter, a green light, an impossibly ancient intelligence forced to sleep and kept from waking for countless thousand years. Now, finally, roused from its dreams. The rush of thought slammed into Donia's brain, leaving her panting, disoriented, trying to sort words from memories, from ideas. It felt like she had managed to read an entire book in half a second, with every word shoved through her at the same time so none of it made much sense. She only caught broad themes and a few key facts, but something jumped out at her. He's a frozen one. I'm speaking with a frozen one. The ice rumbled beneath her feet, and the light far below flickered once more. The thought triggered a wave of fear on pure reaction. She could barely fathom the nature of this thing, any more than she could understand the size of the tower itself. What little she could piece together scared her more than anything she had ever seen in her territory. After a moment, her fears subsided, and rational thought caught up with her once more. The cultists outside had been trying to find and raise the Frozen One, but he had not come to them. He had come to her first. She could use this. I need help, she said. I'm trapped. Can you help us? She was more prepared this time as a rush of sensations flooded through her mind. Two strangers meeting across a frozen plain. Two points as impossibly distant as the stars. An insect and an oak tree discovering one another for the first time. I do not know you, he meant. And he was right. For two beings in Helgard to call upon one another, they had to share not only names, but also the essence of who they truly were. Their histories, their personalities, their secrets. For something like an ice fang, a creature of pure instinct, Donia only had to open herself a fraction. But something this intelligent, this powerful, this old, he would know her entirely. Every shameful secret. Every painful admission, every stark truth of her personality. He would learn things about her she had never known herself. Even worse, she would learn about him in return. Could she handle it? Once more, Donia pictured herself as others saw her. Strong, competent, unfailing. She would not have hesitated to give her name to this frozen elder being, not if it meant rescuing an overlord's son and destroying a danger to the tower at the same time. The real Donia had already hesitated, but that didn't mean it was too late to try. She took a deep breath. My name is Donia Sarkis, she said, and she filled the name with more than just sound. 
She released her dreams, her ambitions, her hobbies, her fears, using them to add texture to the name until it meant all that was her. The Frozen One heard her name, and he heard far more than she had ever meant to say. She wasn't the best choice to send on the mission with Nikolos, and she knew it. She hadn't told the Overlord because this was her chance to look better in his eyes with very little effort. She remembered, and the Frozen One learned. Three years before, on Helgard's eighth floor, she had seen a pack of snow bats tear into an Enosh traveler. She was only twenty yards away and had tamed a snow bat of her own, and she could have saved him. She was supposed to. All travelers of Helgard should look out for each other. But she had been afraid of failure, afraid of calling the bats down on herself, and he was from Enosh, after all. No one would blame her. She had stood there, watching his blood stain the snow, frozen. She made no decision, and he died. The Frozen One learned. As a student in Helgard, Donia had only one rival, another girl who, despite an almost pathetic lack of ability to bond with any of Helgard's creatures or powers, still managed to outscore Donia in every test. One night, Donia snuck in and tore random pages out of her rival's textbook. The Frozen One learned the worst of her. He learned things she had forgotten, that she had pushed out of her memory because they were too embarrassing or painful. He learned the best of her, too, the time when she spoke with Overlord Vasilios and secretly negotiated her father's promotion, the time she had saved a crippled Mirka and nursed it back to health, releasing it into the wilds of the fourth floor before it was returned to pulling carts on the second. Finally, after an endless instant, the Frozen One had learned everything about her. She sagged back against the ice, as exhausted as if she had slogged a mile through hip-deep snow. She wanted nothing more than to let the cold lull her to sleep. She wasn't prepared when the Frozen One shared his name in return. It was a thousand syllables pronounced in a second, impossible to memorize, and yet somehow burned into her brain. The name carried a poem of meaning in each breath. This being was a cog in the wheel of creation and destruction, an agent of change, a lonely force with a job of keeping nature in flux. The Tower of Winter was built around him, locking him in place, robbing him of meaning and power and purpose. Him and a hundred like him. He wanted nothing more than to return to his place in his own world. That need burned in him, hotter than a star, more insistent than gravity. But he knew his world was long dead, and only the Tower was left, drifting in time on an empty sea. Another time, Donia would have been fascinated by these concepts. Here was a being that understood, really comprehended, the nature of the territories, or one territory in specific, at least, and she was sharing his memories. Another time, she would have given anything for the opportunity to study the Frozen One's thoughts. But at that time, she struggled just to stay conscious. The Frozen One's story continued until she felt as though she had aged to death been born again and aged once more. It stopped, and she found herself back in the ice where she had started. Her thoughts were torn to shreds, like a child shredding a sheet of paper into a thousand pieces and scattering it all over the floor. Nicholas, she thought, but for a moment she couldn't remember who he was or why he was important. It's cold. Why was that bad? My ribs hurt. I'm in danger. 
The tower would go on long after her body died. It would drift, stuck between reality, never to end because it existed in a place without beginnings or endings. What would you ask of me, Donia Sarkis? The frozen one rumbled. The sleep calls to me. I must rest again soon. Before I do, I want to see something change. Donia looked down at the ice, completely unsurprised to see a face watching her in return. The eye alone was bigger than she was, set in a rough, craggy, mostly human face somehow leached of all color. The green light glowed far below. His voice was no longer too much to bear. Compared to the thunder of hearing his name, his usual speech was nothing more than a bumblebee's whisper. Release me, Donia said. Save the boy. She whispered one last, long name. With a thunderous crack, the ice split beneath her. The huge chunks and boulders of ice that had surrounded her whisked away, hurtled into the distance as though they had been thrown from a catapult. A single hit from any of those flying bits of ice would have torn chunks out of her flesh. She felt no fear. Compared to his fear, still burning in her mind, her own was nothing. She sat up, blinking around at the world. A circle of black-coated cultists stood a few yards away around a circle of red, stumbling backwards and pointing into the air at the flying ice. She looked in another direction and saw Nicholas's blonde hair lying almost at her feet. He had been so close all along. His chest rose and fell, barely. Hope kindled once more in her chest, though it seemed a tiny, feeble thing, barely noticeable against his loneliness and despair. But it was enough for her. Donia turned her head and met the eyes of the nearest cultist. Well, he said, and she instantly recognized his cultured voice. Well, well, well. That's an impressive showing, I know, but ice cracked beneath the bloody circle and a huge body shifted beneath the ice. The black-dressed travelers stumbled backwards. They pointed and started laughing. Some of them cheered in victory. The speaker turned around and rubbed his hands together. At last, he cried. Donia had the feeling he was about to be drastically disappointed. She pointed. Him, she said. With a sound like a collapsing barn, a blue-skinned fist big enough to grip a horse punched straight through the ice, sending black-coated travelers flying. Donia's blood had frozen on her skin. Her vision blurred, and her thoughts swirled with memories taken from the ancient Titan. She wondered if she would survive this. Even if she did, would she be able to open up a gate and take Nicholas home? Whether we make it or not, she thought, we still won. She supposed she had accomplished something great today after all. Pushing his way through the ice, the frozen one rose. To summon a creature of Helgard, you must understand its name, its nature, its very soul. To understand another, you first reveal yourself. To do so is painful, fraught with risk, and highly rare. It is also the key to the violet light. Elysian Book of Virtues, Chapter 1, Violet. Congratulations, you've survived the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Today's story was Tower of Winter by Will White, read by Travis Baldry.
The next episode will be available on the day the Caterpillar of Ages consumes the last leaf on the sacred dawn tree. Until that time, remember, you may not be watching gnomes, but they're always watching you.